Turn with me to the book of Romans, the 10th chapter. If you would uh, you'd need a Bible, uh, you, don't have, you didn't bring your own, uh, our brother is going to carry a few around. And so raise your hand and he'll get a Bible to you. Amen, amen. So, the book of Romans, the 10th chapter. We're going to be talking about uh, and uh, studying through verse 1 through 13. And so as you're turning uh, to Scripture, I just wanted to remind you, uh, these are amazing uh, three, ver- three chapters in a row in which uh, Paul has completed his talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Israelites have basically said, if this is true... If none of our ancestry, if none of the covenants, if none of all that we have observed, the worship, the whole bit, if none of that has to do with our salvation, uh, then uh, Christ must, uh, God must have rejected us. And uh, that is not true. It's the right assessment that nothing we can do um, physically, we cannot earn our way to heaven. Amen? Amen. Nothing we can do. Anybody reminded of that this week? Anybody reminded of the fact that there's nothing we can do because you've sinned this past week and it became very apparent to you? Yeah, me too. There's nothing we can do on our own. It is all in Christ Jesus. And so, right assessment that they came up, wrong conclusion. That's where the the Jewish people are, were and are today. Still today. We, I just found out, I can't believe I didn't know this, but I just found out uh, a week or two ago that uh, we have a young Jewish gal, or at least partially Jewish, um, Jewish among us. I won't tell you who it is, but it's Julie LaFavor. But um, I, now I didn't say that, so just keep that to yourself. Don't. But I was amazed because God has let me know this Jewish young lady since she was 14, never knew it, and here she is worshiping Jesus Christ. And I'm so, so glad that she's among us as our family, and I love her with all my heart. And so, and so this is the second um, treatise that, um, that the Apostle Paul is doing in light of the fact he so loves his people. He so loves them. And if you remember from chapter 9, he would be willing himself to be accursed. And to go to hell so that his Jewish people would come to faith. Do you have that kind of passion? Do you have that kind of passion for people in the church who once stood firmly in their belief in God, but because of Wrong knowledge because they, they discerned uh, God's word in a way that was not true according to the word of God. They turned away and it became abusive to you. You know what I'm talking about? It's happening so much in America right now. It's unbelievable. I just heard a stat on, on, um, the rate, or on, on a podcast that I listened to from New York. He said that He said that all the people that came to Christ in the first and the second great awakening, all the people that came to Christ under Billy Graham's crusades, those numbers combined do not reach the number of people that have left the church today. I want you to let that sink in a moment. Maybe there's somebody here today that you have not been a faithful worshiper of Jesus Christ. You've blamed it on the church. You've blamed it on all kinds of things. You have not been faithful. You're part of that statistic. Last week I said to you that in, in the Pew poll that um, 
uh, that for somebody who claims to be in Jesus Christ, claims faith in Christ, their average attendance in church is once a month. You know, you say, no, Wayne, don't get legalistic on me. Let me just ask you a question. What's the summary of the law? Love, go, go ahead, Tony. Love, you take the surf. So, okay, I was going to have you stop, but I, who can stop, Tony? Uh, <laughs> nobody can. <laughs> it's right. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength is the first and greatest commandment. And the second one is love your neighbor. Um, one man asked the question, and this is all free. It's not anything that I wrote down. It's just perfectly the movement of the Spirit of God among us. A man came to Jesus and said, well, let's qualify that. Who's my neighbor? Can somebody summarize to me what the answer to that question was? Well, no, no. It was even deeper than that. Even more than that. Not just, you said it out loud. What? Who was the Jewish enemy in their own minds? The Samaritans. Who was the one that went to help the person along the road? A Samaritan. Now you're getting the understanding of chapter 10. We should read it. But, but now your heart is ready to receive it. You're right there. You're right where Paul is. Chapter 10, the first 13 verses. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to what? Establish their own. They did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Moses writes about the righteousness that is by the law. The person who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that is by faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. Hmm. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. So if you declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As Scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Deep, deep truths. I've called this a prayer from law to life. I did that because my brother Paul is in a posture before his God for his Israelite brothers and sisters. He is reflecting the heart of God for his chosen people who have rejected him. And Paul is in that place and he is he is the right person. Why is Israel in that place? Why are they? 
2 Thessalonians 2.10 says that they, they perish because they refuse to love the truth. That's why everyone is in that place. They perish because they do not love the truth. Psalm 95 is the story about him, uh, about the Israelites in the desert. And he says, I was angry for them, with them for 40 years with that generation. They are peoples whose hearts go astray. They have not known my way. When our hearts lean on what we want, that is the reason why we reject God. That is why we turn away. Now, there are two reasons why it is so important for you to understand of the position that Paul is in in this passage. First of all, because Israel was his enemy. Do you know his story? Have you read Acts? Just a few of the things that happened. In Thessalonica, some Jewish people rounded up some bad characters from the market and stirred up a riot against Paul. And he was chased out of that city. And then they followed him to the next. And they did the same thing. They arrested him in Jerusalem and sent him on a journey to Rome. During that time, they paraded him before the Sanhedrin, the Jewish highest council. They brought him before the Roman governor, Felix, who was, the, who was over the territory of Jordan, before Festus, the governor of Caesarea, and then finally King Agrippa and Bernice. In that time of Paul's time with the Jewish people as he came to know Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ he received 195 lashes from a Jewish whip. He was imprisoned. He was shipwrecked. He was in danger from his own countrymen. And yet, his heart desire was that they would be saved. But there's another reason. In verse 2, it says, For I can testify about them that they're zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. The Jewish people had created their own religious legalism. They were zealous for the things of religion, but they did not know God. There are two kinds of knowledge. One is, in the, in the original language, one, one is an intellectual awareness of the outward demands of God's law. You get the structure of religion. That's one knowledge. The second is called spiritual discernment. It only comes from a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. When there is a saving relationship with God that opens the heart up to see God for who he is, to see ourselves who we really are, that's spiritual discernment. And it is a knowledge that they did not share. Now, how could Paul make this assessment? Because that's where he was at one time. Galatians 1, 13-14 says, For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my father. Can that happen in the church today? Can you be so caught up in the form and structure of religion that you miss the person of Jesus Christ? Absolutely. Absolutely you can. I might have said it here before. I have kept um, a brother's um, name from you, but I have shared before that I have a brother that is a pastor. Uh, I've known him for over 30 years and um, have had a relationship with him throughout those years. Um, he was um, a brother that... Um, that actually was influential in Sue in my life in starting up this, this church called The Pier. 
And, um, um, and because of a situation in his life, he has diverted off from the truth of the word of God and it's affecting every area of his life. Every area of his life. His heart has gone astray because he's trying to make room for sin in a child's life. That that child is saved, but there's no evidence to that salvation. And so he's trying to fit his child into theology to be saved. So he can be assured that his child's going to go to heaven. Have you ever done that? Do you understand that what, that, what happens there is that, is that that begins you down a road that is off the truth of the word of God? Paul said to Timothy, guard what you have been entrusted with. What does that mean? That means it's the most important thing in my life. That means that I don't compromise the word of God when it comes in regards to sin. I don't make room for sin in my own life and the life of those that I love. At some point in time, the Israelites were there. At some point in time, God continued to come to them. God continued, and they continued. And I think about a time, you remember when, when uh, Balaam trying to curse him, curse the Israelites? And he was called by Balak, uh, the king of Moab. Thank you. The king of Moab. This is all stuff that's just my, in my heart right now. And, and so he was, I want you to come and curse these people that are coming across the desert. And Balaam couldn't. Balaam couldn't do it, right? He couldn't do it. But then he said to, to Balak, after he tried to curse him three times and he blessed him three times, <laughs> he said to Balak, he said, I got a way. I'm, I'm going to do something that's going to pick the door open instead of bust it down. I'm going to introduce sexual immorality into the Israelite people in their temple worship. Did it work? You bet it did. And for some of us today, that's working. For some of us today, that's working. So Paul was the right man. In this moralistic religion, Paul was the right man. The God of moralism is the God that causes, is the God that is causing most of the churches to close today. What do I mean by that? What I mean by that is when you've made your past your hero and you want, you fight for keeping the religious structure the way that it's always been, you're caught by the God of, of moralism. Now, I'm not saying biblical. We have to stay on the word of God. But God is, is God doing a brand new thing here today? Is he doing something brand new in our, in our society today? Is he working in a way that you're seeing him that you've never seen him before? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he is. But this God of moralism, zealous, the Bible says that zeal without knowledge leads to destruction. And the God of moralism is not the God of heaven. Yes, moralism. He did, he set morality in the hearts of people. Yes, that's true. But that is not what leads his church. His church leads by grace and grace alone. And moralism comes out of a desire to follow him. 
The law never saved anyone. The law was made to show all of us that without Jesus, we're law supervisor that led us to our great need of Jesus. Verse 3 says, since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. You see, it really comes down to this. A lack of knowledge is tied to a lack of faith. A lack of knowledge is tied to a lack of faith. The issue, again, with knowledge is the unwillingness to believe the truth, not the lack of existence of truth. Israel's rejection did not, become, did not come because of withheld grace, because of some sovereign election, but they rejected God's call. Many are called, few are chosen. See, what happened is they became squanderers of the immeasurable privilege of directly receiving not only the word of God from Mount Sinai, but also the very word of God in their Messiah. Are you doing that today? Are you? Am I? And there's only one reason why they did that, because they sought to establish their own. See, one of the biggest, one of the biggest inhibitors to the gospel of Jesus Christ is believing that you are okay in your own shoes. Somebody told me recently, Pastor, I need you to tell me this. First of all, what I'm doing wrong. Second of all, how I can get that right in Jesus Christ. When you begin to believe you're okay in yourself and that you're a pretty good person, you're believing a lie. And it's the thing that's inhibiting you from coming, as it inhibited the Israelites from coming to Christ. If you remember, in John 8, Jesus was talking to them. And he said, he was talking about discipleship. And he said, if, if you hold to my teachings, then you truly are my, my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And do and you remember what they said to, to Jesus? They said, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. What do you mean, set free? We, we have never been a slave of anyone. We're a descendant of Abraham. We, haven't been, we, we are not a slave of anyone. Hmm, let me just see. Did they forget Egypt? Did they forget the Philistines? Did they forget uh, Babylon? Did they forget Rome right then? People of God, every single one of those instances, every single one of them, was caused because of their rebellion against God. Every single one of them. And they were so okay in their own shoes, they didn't need Jesus because they're not, they're not slaves to anyone. What did Jesus say to them? What did Jesus say in response to that? Anyone who sins is a slave to sin. Don't put your faith in the fact that your parents went to church and you're okay because you're a part of them. Don't put your faith in the fact that you even sit in the seats here. Put your faith only in Jesus Christ because anything outside of that any, any knowledge that sets itself up against the knowledge of God 
is a knowledge that leads to a lack of faith. When you're caught up in yourself, in your own self-righteousness, as the Israelites were, when you're holding on to your self-righteousness, you need no reason to repent. Do you remember the story of the two boys, the two sons? The father came, and he said to them, go out in the field and work. The first son said, yes, I will. Did he? No, he did not. The second one said, no, I won't. Did he? Yeah, he changed his mind. Repentance. A picture of repentance. So which one did the Father's will? The one who changed his mind. Amen. Jesus said, I tell you, truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness. The way of righteousness. The way of righteousness. And you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe. A lack of knowledge is because of lack of belief. You're not rebelling against God today because you don't have the right knowledge. You're rebelling against God today because in the midst of that knowledge, you've chosen not to believe like the Israelites did. And so when Paul, in addressing the law, said this, Christ is the culmination of the law. Righteousness for everyone who believes. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1.30, he says, Jesus Christ who has become for us Wisdom from God, that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. MacArthur says that righteousness and holiness are synonymous, but have different connotations. Holiness is the standard. It's the standard. Be holy as I am holy, Peter said. And righteousness is the act of fulfillment. 1 John 3, 7 says this, Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous. Now, wait a minute. No, listen to me. You, you just, I heard somebody say, does that mean I have to be perfect? What's right when you get it wrong? Yes! <laughs> Repent! It's a lifestyle. Because every one of us even after Christ, still gets it wrong at times. It should be lessening. There should be a growing. There's a sanctification. But if you cannot remember the last time you repented to your God, you're probably building a self-righteousness. No, listen to me. This is not popular. Repentance is a lifestyle. Because every one of us pulls back. Christ is a bullseye. And oh, it went that way. We get it right in Christ Jesus. He got it right. Don't you go to sleep on me. Don't turn away from this. When's the last time you repented? If you can't name it, you're probably living under self-righteousness. Come on! And we need a church that's repentant because that's a church that's going to be living not only out the holiness standard, but they're going to be living into the practical day-in-day righteousness. Because God is the one who says, that's right, I'll get you back on course. Yes, thank you. Yes, I'm here. I'm your strength. I'm your portion. I'm your high tower. I'm everything you need. There's nothing wrong with you, honey. You want to take over? I'll sit down. No, we don't get this. 
Listen, when's the last time you heard that in a church? Most churches are just trying to build you up to make you happy so that you give money. I don't really care. Don't give, me, don't give this church money if you're not giving Jesus your life. Your money ain't doing no good. Our sister said that you give in, in a cheerful way. That's because Jesus is in the center of your giving. So, so this is huge. This is such a huge point. I, and this is... Um, See, righteousness in our lives is working out. It's an imputed righteousness. It's something that as receiving Jesus Christ, it has been put in you by him. By him. And you get the privilege of walking it out. Following him. Following him. You won't do it, do it yourself. Follow him. But this is the interesting thing I have found. People are very interested in pursuing holiness because there's a sense of life improvement with this idea. But when, the, but when it comes to outworking of righteousness as an act in, active fulfillment of holiness, this is where people push back. Why? Because it is called not only to believe what is right, but now put yourself in the place, the presence of God, that you can live out what is right. But it's in the presence of God. Your biggest issue, yes, you, is that you even think because of Jesus Christ, now I can kind of live my life the way I want to. I can kind of do what I want to do. I can kind of, you know, okay, he's got it covered. I'm all set. I can just do what I want to do. No, no, the Christian life is you're called to be holy as he is holy, which is impossible without his presence in your heart. It can't happen. But with his presence in your heart, how do I know the presence of God is in my heart? He keeps drawing me to be in his presence. He keeps drawing me every day. And I repent all the time. All the time. All the time. You feel what she says? I feel it. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Take and seal it. Seal it for the court above. That's a Christian life. That's a Christian life. It's, it's realizing that the standard is holiness. That the, the living out is righteousness. And he's the one that does it. Only him. We are so dependent. It is our first Value in this church is dependency on God. Because if we aren't depending on him, we're going to go right back into the garbage that wants to, that wants to haul us down to Ben-Hennon, the valley of fire. You know it's true. You, you, you stood up and you professed Jesus Christ and Lord and then you turned right around and did the same thing again. Yeah. And you have been pushing back at him, not repenting. Not, you've been pushing at that. You said, oh, you know, you took care of it, I'm all fine. No, no it's not. So, man, that was just, no extra charge for that. Um, <laughs> so here, here's why. Here's why. Okay, so I said, I said this, but when it comes to outworking righteousness as an act of fulfillment of holiness, this is where people push back. Why? Because it is a call not only to believe what is right, but, but now to put yourself in the place, the presence of God, that you can live out what is right. Listen, that is called biblical discipline, which the derivative word of discipline is disciple. The reason we push back is because 
We like the idea of Jesus. But do we want to follow him? Do we? We like the idea of the religious structure. We feel good. I mean, Ryan does a great job of the music. Isn't that? Amen. He just does such a wonderful job. He takes a song and just breathes life into it. And I love that. But people of God, it is so much more than that. You can have all that. But if you don't have Jesus, it's just it's just religious self-righteousness. That's all it is. And some of us have been so bound up in that, like the Israelites, so bound up in that. So what did Paul do? Now listen, what did he do? It's the next verse. Listen, to it. it's, really, it's cool. It's cool. So the next verse is what? So he says this. Moses writes this about the righteousness that is by the law. The person who does these things will live by them. Huh. Okay. So your religious moralism, your, your structure, your self-righteousness, you want to put it to a test? You want to see how you're doing? Let's just put it up against 10 little commandments. Let's see how you're doing. Um, have you ever sworn and taken the Lord's name in vain? You are a blasphemer. Have you ever hated anyone? You're a murderer. Have you ever lusted? You're an adulterer. Have you ever stolen anything? Ever. A piece of gum. Thank you for your... You're a thief. Have you ever lied? That would be a lie. <laughs> so what you've just told me is that you're a blaspheming, adulterer, a thief, and a liar. See, this is important. This is important because all of us need to realize the depth of our sin that reveals our inability to satisfy God's law and that is where God's wrath and his judgment come in to show us our great need for the grace and the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you don't get there, if you don't get to that place where you, the Spirit shows you sin and you don't get to the place of repentance like my sister, you don't have Jesus in your heart. You don't, because he is the standard of holiness, and he is calling you. He's imputed his righteousness into your life, and he's calling you to live it out. Now, we will do everything we can in our power to accomplish it ourselves. Everything. Did you see the next verses? But the righteousness that is by faith says, do not in your heart, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, who will ascend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. Now let's just stop there. What in the world does that mean? What in the world does that mean? That means that is man-made religion to bring Christ either to our level or instead of the resurrection of the dead, to bring Christ out of the dead ourselves. So what do we do when we do that? Um, I, I, should I have a show of hands? No, maybe not. Let's just... How many of you have gone uh, and done tarot cards? How many of you have um, gone to palm readers? How many of you check your horoscope? How many of you um, um, have gone to a medium? to find out what's going on in your life. How many of you have tried to consult the dead to see what is going on in your life? Freemasons, Mormons, Jehovah Witnesses. 
all looking to bring Christ down to their level or to, for themselves to bring him up from the dead. Trying to do anything we can in our own power and our own strength for our own religion. And it's a lie. But what does it say? What does it say? It says this. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Why the big struggle? Now I want to ask that question. Why is it such a big struggle for you to read God's word? Now some of you are going to say, well, I really have a hard time reading. So did I. So did I. In fact, I remember when... uh, when God spoke to me and says, I want you to, I want you to read my word, and I, and I want you to tell others about it. I remember the day as though it was yesterday. And this verse came to mind. It says, the unfolding of your word gives light, it gives understanding to the simple. I said to God, I said, I am a simple person. I'm the simple person. I can't read well. I didn't do good in school. You're asking me to read this word. I don't know what to do. And he said, I will lead you. Jeremiah said that that there is a day coming where no man will have to say to another man, know the Lord, for all will know me. And I will place their word on their heart. If you're in the sound of my voice, God has placed his word on your heart. What is that doing for you? What is that doing in your life? So the question coming out of all this is this. Have you been made holy in Christ? I don't care what you say you believe. Have you been made holy in Christ? Have you been allowed to see who you really are? And the sin that is in your life that is turning you from that. From who you, who you should be. Do you see who God really is? Well, you say, Pastor, how do I know if those things are happening? Read it. That if you confess or declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Do you see what he did there? So brilliant. So he took the experientialness of a human being and said, this is how it will work out. If you are being made holy by me, you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. You will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you will believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And then he switches it and shows us what happens in the, in, in, in the spiritual realm. In the spiritual realm, the reason you're sitting here is because the holiness of God through his spirit has come in and has touched your heart. And he is justifying you for no reason of your own. He is setting you before God absolutely flawless because he is imputing his righteousness, because he is applying the cross of Jesus Christ to your life, because he is taking your sins and nailing them to the cross, and he's taking the righteousness of Christ and nailing it inside your soul, and you can't miss it. If you wonder about it today, you ain't got it. You can't miss the divine living inside of a heart. 
There are two things here. First, the Lord is Jesus' Lord, and second, raised from the dead. You say to me, but pastor, you believe in God, or I believe in God. What are you talking about? Right? That's your question right now. Do you know that the demons are the most monotheist beings in all creation? They believe in one God. That's what monotheist means. They believe in one God. Okay, good. James 2 says, you believe in one God? Good, even the demons believe that and shudder. Do you know that the demons are the deepest ones that have confirmed that God built creation? That they're creationists? That God made everything? They're not evolutionists because they were there when it was done or shortly after. Second of all, they're a believer in God's power. Do you remember when, when Jesus went and saw the, uh, the demon-possessed man and he ran up and said, Son of the living God, what are you doing here? Have you come here to, to abuse us before the point of time? They got a lot of theology in that, in that statement. Any human being. In our generation, people, there have been men and women that have held strong theological positions. They are a picture of moral lives. They acknowledge their sin and desire eternal life. They're very religious, and yet appears that they're headed for hell. Why? One reason. They don't have Jesus. He's not Lord of their life. In the Bible, ten times refers to Jesus as our Savior. Seven hundred times as our Lord. The Lordship of Jesus Christ. In fact, John MacArthur himself wrote a whole book on the gospel of, of Jesus Christ, the Lordship of Christ, because he saw that being one of the greatest things that in the church, people will accept Jesus Christ as their Savior, but not their Lord, not their Master, not the, not the sole one that can dictate what they do with their life. And the second one is the resurrection. Now, we're called to believe a lot of things about Jesus Christ. We're called to believe um, that, um, that he was God of all, that he was there in creation. We're, we're called to believe that he appeared in the Old Testament at times because he was walking with his chosen people. We're called to believe that, that he came into this world and put on flesh that he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, that he was born of a virgin, that he lived a sinless life, and that nobody took his life from him, but he gave it willingly at the cross. But the thing about the resurrection is this. It was what proclaimed Jesus as the only Son of God. It was the thing that proclaimed Jesus to be the only one who was eternally victorious over sin. And that's important to know, eternally. Because right now, some of you are sitting among me, and you are struggling with the fact of your sin. And you're struggling with the identity that it's given you. And you're struggling with the fact of, who am I really? Who am I really? Sin is saying I'm this. The pastor's saying that my only identity is to be in Jesus Christ. He is the Son of God, and He has eternally overcome sin. He is your hope. He is your hope. To believe that God raised Jesus from the dead is to identify ourselves with Jesus, that He was raised from the dead and purchased our redemption. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul has an exhortation on it. It says, if Jesus Christ has not been risen from the dead, we are futile in our faith, and we are actually caught, we are actually, um, caught testifying falsely about God. But Jesus has been raised, has been raised. And the Bible says this in verse 11 of the same uh, chapter. It says, uh, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. Isaiah 29, 16 says this, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. The one who relies on it will never be stricken with panic. 
or shame. Do you believe that? The second thing in verse 12, it says, There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, the same Lord of Lord of all, and richly blesses all who call on him. He said in Galatians 3, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor there is male or female, for all, you are all one in Christ Jesus. Equality and salvation, no matter what the color of our skin no matter what we've come back, what we've come from, no matter what, whether we're poor or rich, whether we have a job of significance or insignificance, whether you're a trash truck driver, which I was one, at time, one time, or a pastor of church, it don't matter. It's all on equal ground. And in Jesus Christ, it's equal salvation and equal blessing. No difference. And then it ends by saying, our time here, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Listen to me. There's some of you that say you believe in God, but you've never called on him. What does it mean to call on God? What does that mean? Now listen to me. There's pride trying to rise up. There's pride trying to say you're okay in yourself. You're okay where you're at. What does it mean to call on the name of the Lord? First of all, to call on the name of the Lord is to see yourself honestly. More people live in delusionment in their life today than live in reality. They live in some other, some other world that's not really the one that God called them to. And I could go through it all, I'm not going to. So the first thing is to see yourself for who you really are. To see God for who he is. And to literally, with your mouth, say, I need thee. Oh, I need thee. Every hour I need thee. Jesus, I see the sin that I have caused. I see the sin that is trying to destroy me. I see that you're a holy God and that you desire me to live out what is right. I'm not. I'm living out what's wrong. Every day I'm living out what's wrong. I come to you and I give you my life. Here I am. This is what Paul desired for his Israelite people. This is what he was willing to be cursed for and what he was praying for. In the heart of every believer is a heart that, that cries for the lost, that cries out for the people that have been in church, but they have seen just an outward structure. And they've just, their own moralism, their own, they, and, and they're lost. They're some of the meanest people on the face of this earth. Do you have that kind of heart? Do I? So I told you at the beginning of this message about a pastor, a friend of mine. So I've been praying. There's a few among you that I have asked you to pray about this for me. What do I do, God? I love this man. What do I do, God? So this week, I emailed him. I went through our history. I went through the fact of my deep respect for him and love for him. And I said, but I, at this point in time, I see that we're in different camps. And I said, I'm willing to talk if you are. He got back to me. He said, let's get together in March. Now, now, I need all your covering. Because can Wayne Anderson change an opinion of a person? Can Jesus Christ? Okay. That's what Paul believed. So here's my challenge. Who do you know? Two categories. Who do you know that's lost? Who do you know that once upon a time was going to church but is no longer? Now again, love the Lord your God, love your neighbor as yourself. I'm not talking about moralism, going to church because you have to do that. I don't go to this church because I have to. I don't go to this church because this is the best church in the world. I don't go to this church because it's perfect. Because if I would go for it, it would be unperfect. But I go to this church because the Spirit of God's calling me. 
And there are people that are, that are out there that the Spirit of God is talking to, like through the Apostle Paul. You know them by name. Will you commit something to me off of this sermon? Will you start praying for them? This man has been on my prayer list for over six months. Who is that person? Can you name them right now? Can you? Is there somebody in your mind right now that the Holy Spirit's putting on your heart? Okay. Would you stand with me? Let's pray. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, uh, as we come off of this message from Romans 10, and as we have felt your heart and Paul's heart, and the call to turn away from um, a, a religious structure that is built up in our own minds, and to come back to the gospel, Lord, I'm believing that there's somebody in this room that either has never re truly received God, but has used Used, I believe in God as some kind of protection from really giving their heart. And I pray that, Father, that you'll work in their heart right now. I pray for those who have come to realize that they have placed moral structure and, and old ways, made their past their hero, and trying to change every church into the way that it used to be. And, Lord, I pray that, Lord, you will just give them freedom to realize that the Word of God never changes. And that we stay centered on God's word, but that the structure can do anything. For there are new structures that are going on around this country, from house churches to, um, uh, to all kinds of things where the spirit of God is moving in mightily in ways. And so, Father, just pray that you will bless that person. For us, Father, as a family, and I, I've challenged these people to think about a name right now a name that they see falls into what Paul was so um, passionate about. And that is Paul prays that, Lord, they will put that name on their prayer list. And so right now as a church, as I pray for this man in my life, I pray that each one of us are praying. Because every one of us knows somebody. More people have fallen away from the Lord than have been brought to the Lord over the past 120 years or more. And Lord, it is time for revival. And revival is always going to happen in prayer. And so, Lord Jesus, as we all pray silently right now for that person, I ask that, Lord, that we will be diligent and continue to pray for them. And that, Father, that you will begin to do a work that we get to see in the passenger seat. And that, Father, our joy is the joy you want to give us so that your joy is complete. Let's pray for them right now. Lord, I want to thank you for people that took that seriously and prayed a name to you. I thank you for those hearts, like Paul's heart, that are absolutely diligent to want to see them come to salvation. I pray that you'll set the way up for each person to have a conversation with those that they prayed for. And that, Father, um, as they talk about their form and structure, their laws, their all the kinds of things that they use to protect themselves, that, Lord, we'll be able to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that, Lord, in the months, in the year ahead, that there will be those who will confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in their heart that God raised them from the dead. And you promised 
they would be saved. Heavenly Father, let salvation fall again. Let revival come. Let, in our land, let you work in such a way that we get the privilege as a family to see your moving in the hearts of people. That was Paul's heart. Let it be ours also. I pray this in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. Let us continue.